0: To Beyond the Ring, a podcast that covers all things in the stock show industry from the informative
1: to the insane. Starring Ryan Rash,
2: I am a queen, not a princess. I do not
0: need saving.
1: And Dale Hummel,
0: Fear of Failure is Your Only Limitation.
1: Now on with the show.
0: Welcome to Beyond the Ring. This is Dale Hummel, along with co cool star Ryan Rash. Hello. Ryan, it's it's been another eventful week in lockdown and and especially here in the state of Illinois. And there's a few things that I want to talk about. I keep saying, well, I'm not going to talk about the COVID-19 and our and our current events, but it really seems to be dominating things. And there is one one issue I wanted to bring up, and that's something we touched on briefly last week. And that's the hidden health risks because of COVID-19 and more specifically the the lockdown that that we're going through. And I think here in the next few months. The world's going to uncover all these issues that are going unnoticed or undetected. It's something that's that's concerning to me from the standpoint, I'm not real sure that we're causing more issues than what the COVID-19 actually is. I'm not trying to be insensitive to those that maybe have had a, a personal issue with COVID-19 or a connection with it in any manner, not trying to be disrespectful. For an example, mammograms are down 87%. Colonoscopy is down 90%. In the US alone, there are 1.7 million cases of cancer diagnosed each year. Considering the decrease in, in screening, the numbers which are being currently missed because of our pandemic, statistically speaking, there should have been approximately 300 cases of cancer that would have been diagnosed if we would have continued those screenings and so forth. That's a staggering number, and that doesn't even Go into talking about all the other health issues, whether it's heart disease or the other issues that are that are being missed, it's it's frightening to me. The other thing that came out the other day, CDC indicated that childhood vaccinations have dropped 60%. It's hard. The longer this lockdown lasts, the larger the hidden risk issues are, are going to become. And, and I think when it's all said and done and we start uncovering all of this, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. I don't, I don't know if anyone could have known what the correct path would be to best intersect this pandemic, but we do need to learn from the science, from our experiences, and adjust accordingly as, as we move forward. And I'm, I'm fearful maybe we aren't making those adjustments state by state.
2: All those things are happening is right, but I think another thing that you've not addressed, and it's something that I have been out in the world the past week, was excited to go out, happy about it. The one thing that you didn't bring up that I think is going to be more prevalent than ever is the mental health issues that being in lockdown has caused because they're real. I'm I'm not, I'm not being rude. I'm not joking. People have a completely different mindset and attitude about the world now. And it's not good. You don't think that'll go away over time? I never thought when we went through all this crazy Miss Rona nonsense that like at some point we wouldn't get back to almost exactly where we are before. I'm telling you, after being out, I left on a Wednesday. I got back on a Tuesday and I was in two different states and multiple locations. I'm not sure if it will ever be the way it was again. There are far more people and these are people that are out there working that don't want to be because they're scared. Like, I can't tell you the number of people that told me that they were scared to be working, but they just had to. I mean, I have been jonesing to get off this hill and go somewhere and do something. I'm in the minority, I promise you, in the minority. Walking around in downtown Oklahoma City, I promise you, it was like what you see in the movies after the apocalypse is hit or aliens came and invaded and took everybody out. It was people wandering around, very few people wandering around with this blank look, looking for signs of life or something that's open. It was so
0: bizarre. Like I never expected it. Never. Wow. I'm hopeful that there's maybe a divide from the more populated cities to the rural area where. If I go into our local local town here of 200 people or any of the smaller towns around here, I'm not seeing that, but I haven't ventured into some of those cities down on the streets and and actually absorbed what's going on. But it sounds like it it does concern you.
2: No, and I was telling these people that I talked to because it wasn't that many people talked to, but you had to talk to somebody to have a good time. But uh, you live in a small town. I live in a small town and things are a little different here. Our town's about 7,500 people. Things are a little different here, not drastically, but I do think there is a huge disconnect from major metropolitan areas to people that went through this in a rural area or community. I can't give you an exact science on why, but there is a huge disconnect between those two because people that were traveling that were more like me, they were from rural areas that just wanted to get out Tired of being, you know, bored at home, etc. But I, I promise you, people, it was wild, and I'm not saying in a good way.
0: It was wild. I, I was completely floored by it all. That is interesting and, and logical. I, I can see that happening. I hope it changes. I, I noticed on the the news earlier this week that the real estate sales of people buying homes online from New York City and in other cities in New Jersey trying to get to the outskirts, to the rural area, have gone through the roof. They say it's it's like nothing they've ever seen, and people aren't even going out and looking at those homes. They're simply buying them. I don't know if it's out of fear because of the population density. Maybe it's because of the restrictions within the cities. I don't know what it is, but there, there is a chance, and, and they say New York's strong, they're going to survive, and I'm, I'm sure they will. But I think there is a little bit of a shift. If we were to ever go through something like this again, you're going to see more and more of people maybe not wanting to live in some of these really population dense cities and try to get further away try to get further out because of things just like this
2: well it's going to happen and the reason it's going to happen is because we've been doing this since the middle of march it's now almost the first of june and a lot of these people that are in these cities that go to these big high-rises and work they've been working at home and they, their bosses and the leaders in those companies have shown that it can happen. So it's less expensive than having to have an off 15-story office building and all this other stuff. They've proven that they can do it and still be productive enough. And these people obviously want out. So that's why I think it will happen to some extent in those ways. Not saying that you won't have to go in at some point, but the people that can work from a computer at home you're going to see that more
0: often now i believe that i believe that as well and i can't even imagine being locked into a a city condo or in or one of the high rights buildings where i'm working from there our family's all there locked into that place for however many months maybe go outside and walk around the block where here, we're here we're going out we're we're feeding livestock we're our daily routine for the most part for my family and kids it hasn't changed if we want to go outside or go fishing or, or we're, we're doing what we usually do outside of traveling to shows is about all that that we've pulled back from. So it hasn't, I'm not saying it hasn't impacted my my kids would tell you that the lack of social interaction with with other children and other young adults is, is killing them. But for the most part, our day-to-day activities haven't changed. I can't imagine being confined to that small of space and not being able to go out and, and do what you do every day as
2: things start to open up and we try to get back to more of what we will consider the new normal, as much good news as there is in some areas in our industry alone, there's just as much still heartbreaking news. Like for instance, there was a jackpot show in Texas this past weekend. There's gonna be a jackpot show in Colorado. I have actual inline shows now booked, and these are all new because everything in June canceled on me all the way to the 4th of July in-person shows. So those are happening, but yet the Montana state fair canceled this week, even though Purdue said that Indiana county fairs can happen. A bunch of those county fairs have contacted me asking if they go to a virtual show while I still serve as the judge because the list of restrictions that they have put in place for them to have an actual in-person show is impossible for them to get it done. And so we're seeing pockets of good news and some things happening, but then you see things that are just as devastating in in other ways, in my opinion.
0: The news out of Indiana on the surface sounded great that shows can go on in July and it concerns me that the extension came out with the rules that they, they did. And I'm going to assume it's all for, for good reason and trying to protect the health and, and safety of everyone. But when the governor is opening things up and the citizens want to get out and do what they want to do, and then Purdue extension or Indiana extension comes in with, and I, I listened to, to some of the rules. I'm not saying they cannot be implemented at a county fair, but it would be very, very, very difficult. So unfortunately, like, like Ryan just used an example, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to lose a lot of those county shows because they do not feel as though they can adhere to not the governor's specifications, but the extension specifications. And that's, that's concerning. And I have
2: probably judged as many virtual shows as anybody. And I keep saying every week that they're necessity. And obviously I am believing them because I've donated my time and not taking any pay for all of them was sorted, but I've sorted enough. I'm just going to be real honest with you. I, I, I'm good on my virtual shows of it all. I, I think it is essential. And like I said, all these shows that I'm judging up here in coming weeks, they're not County fairs. Obviously they're not state fairs. They don't happen later, but they are shows that have said that they're going to happen come hell or high water. Because everybody just wants that human interaction with each other. And so good for them. And I like it that we're getting our jackpot shows going back again. I'm really concerned on the fate of larger events. Because, for instance, instance, Abbott opened up a whole lot of restrictions in Texas this week. My mother, who runs Texas Junior Livestock Association, is trying to have the TJLA camp show. Supposed to be the first weekend in May. We pushed it back to the first weekend in June. Abbott has basically said that rodeo and equestrian events can happen. Didn't touch on livestock shows as much, but there are places in Texas that are having livestock shows, not a facility big enough to hold the show that she needs to have. But that was Monday. Today, she got an email from them saying that they don't know yet. They're still trying to work with commissioners talk to lawyers about liability, safety protocols, etc. And we're two weeks away. And we can't tell the members of the TJLA or the anybody in our state that wants to show it that if we can even have the show yet, even though our governor has technically said that he's okay with it. And so I can't preach this enough. And I've said it so many times on here liability is going to be a huge issue. We don't see it that way because we know how we are as stock show people in our industry, what kind of people are made up with it, but the lawyers and the other people don't see it that way. That's the catch.
0: And that will be something that, that has to be addressed. And, and I, I used an example visiting with a friend earlier today that my son and I used to go to a lot of motocross events and we have to sign waivers that if we're injured out on the track, we're not going to sue, we're not holding them liable for anything. Unfortunately, those waivers, when we get to a court of law, sometimes don't don't hold as true as what they should on the surface. And I don't think the livestock community is is going to go down that path. But I think it's something that at these larger shows right now, if there's a gray area whether they should or shouldn't be holding these shows, it is it is going to be in the back of every livestock manager and and, and the people putting on those shows' mind, and it's a concern. Absolutely, it is. With that, uh, we're going to move forward. I predict this will be one of our longer episodes that we've had thus far because we're going to talk about a judge's perspective. Wow. Just where do I start today? Ryan and I have the privilege to discuss topics relating to a judge's perspective with a person who has walked into national level shows across species in the role as the judge more than any other person on the planet. Dan Hoag has built a dynasty at Black Hawk East Junior College. And in that process, trained more livestock judges and educated more livestock breeders than any other single person. In full disclosure, I was one of Dan's students. Very proud that that I went to Blackhawk East. I competed for Dan as a a livestock judging student and competed on teams uh, that that he took us across the country. I have also competed against Dan in terms of a livestock judging coach. When I was at Joliet Junior College, Dan was the most difficult person in the world to recruit against. And now Dan and I have have built a relationship that I feel very honored to call him a close friend. So with that, Dan, we appreciate you coming on with Ryan and I. Uh, we look forward to some great discussion. We're going to talk about some topics that sometimes need to be discussed very transparently, and, and sometimes people don't always want to talk about them. We're going to jump right into it. And Dan, welcome to Beyond the Ring.
1: Well, thank you very much, Dale and Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here and honor to be part of your program. I might add, before uh, we get into the questions and our discussion today, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to both of you. And uh, it's so ironic that YouTube presented the information that you did of the concern. And we're going to turn around now and I'm going to talk about possibly how it used to be. And uh, my greatest hope is that we will be able to return uh, one comment I wanted to make with regard to Ryan, uh, liability is really going to become an issue and not that it is is of concern or even pertinent to our conversation, but at Black Hawk College the last number of years, I don't remember how many, but uh, before a student leaves campus on any activity or involved in any laboratory exercise, uh, we we do sign waivers. And it's simply something we do every single time at the beginning of a semester in each of our classes. And liability, Ryan, like you say, uh, it is going to be such a critical issue. And Dale, your comments and statistics, uh, I mean, at my age, uh, I just attended a a medical appointment two days ago in the Quad Cities, and it was uh, amazing the the steps that I had to go through to enter the, the hospital and what we did the standpoint of just going from one point to the other and the security issues and the safety issues that I had to undergo were absolutely amazing. So I've experienced it all in the last few days and uh, you two are absolutely point on. This is really, really interesting. And the mental issue that you mentioned, Ryan, uh, I don't think we will know for years how it has played on that various generations of individuals in this country we may never fully recover emotionally and mentally from what so many individuals and families have been through and those people on the front lines they'll never recover it's just been amazing so let's talk about where we go from here really honored to be a part of this today talking with both of you that are i call in the trenches uh, day after day and what you're doing with your program here is amazing.
0: Well, thank you, Dan. And, and as I, I alluded to just a little bit ago, we're going to talk about various topics. Uh, some may be uncomfortable for, for some people to talk about publicly. Others have been discussed many times in, in the public. Uh, by no means are we pointing fingers or singling out individuals, but rather our goal is to openly discuss issues that exhibitors and families would like to know about. And using the judge's perspective, I can't think of of two better people to, to sit down and discuss them with is Ryan and Dan. Let's start off with uh, something that that's come to, to life and even within my family and, and particularly my older daughter. There's always a question as a judge or, or people on the outside, what, is, what are your thoughts or what what enters your mind when a high-profile exhibitor enters that ring? And I'm going to throw this to Dan first and then Ryan, if you don't mind following up on that. But again, the high-profile exhibitors, it doesn't matter what, ex, what species, Obviously, there's some out there within each species, and and when they enter the ring, does that change how we look at things? Or, or Dan, how do you approach that?
1: That is a, a pivotal, very interesting question, Dale. And when I have observed those individuals entering the ring, and anyone that says that they have not noticed those high-profile individuals entering the ring, I, I've often laughed and said, "Well, you either haven't judged very much, or you're not telling the truth." And <laughs> with that stated. Uh, Once again, I simply always say to myself, game on. Uh, That tells me that this show, this day, uh, and to me as your show judge, they have enough respect for me as an individual and myself as the show judge that day. It, It is a added responsibility that I evaluate them accurately, evaluate them fairly, it is game on. I consider it an honor when those folks enter the ring. I really do.
2: Uh, Touch on what Dan said there. I agree completely with what he says when people say they don't recognize those high profile kids. And when he said either they're not telling the truth or they haven't judged many shows, that's exactly right. And that's just part of it. If you're involved in this industry, you go to shows, you judge shows, you keep your ear to the ground and you know what's happening out there in this industry, you're going to know the families and the kids that are more successful. And that is part of it. Game on is a really good way to attitude to have in that situation. I am really open and really honest about politics in the show ring. And I know that they happen on occasion. And a lot of times there's uh, people at the end of the show that scream politics when actually the best one won. And that's just unfortunate as well. I think for me, the one thing that I always reflect on, no matter whether it's a high-profile kid or what show it is that I'm sorting or I'm judging, I know that I've been on both sides of that candle, where politics probably helped me, but I've been on it a lot when I've been burned by it, and not just me, but families that I've helped. And so I always have made it a point that I'm just not going to go down that road and I agree with Dan that it's a huge honor that people of that caliber that have animals of that quality want your opinion. I think it's just important to sort the stock that day and just know when you align them and you talk them that you're saying and doing it right and how you feel, because it's just one person's opinion. And I have an opinion and Dale has one and, Dan has one, and everyone out there has an opinion. If we all had the same opinion about how stocks should be sorted, there'd only be one show a year, and that wouldn't be a whole lot of fun. And so that's just kind of my take and my viewpoint on it. I really appreciate all the kids that come into my arena, no matter whether they won a ton of shows or never won one before. And I think it's just pivotal that whoever is sorting that show just go out there and shoot from the hip and do what's right in that
0: moment. Excellent. On on both of those are, are just dead on. And it's interesting to me because you're going to have people on the sidelines and parents and, and other friends and family. And, and we all get barn blind or a little bit biased towards towards something we raised or our children or somebody we're connected with. I, I think that summarizes it very, very well. And it's interesting that, that some of those young people or those higher profile kids are, are coming in the ring. More times than not, they're going to be bringing one that's going to be at least in the top end of the class and, and that's where they're going to end up. and it's easy to say, well, they always get first or second or they make the poll if it's a Texas major and, and that that's that could be very accurate, but there may be a reason behind that. maybe they're they're dragging a pretty good one each time and and we have to recognize that and, and at some points, I, I don't doubt that that is an advantage from a standpoint that a random judge, is going to look at that animal and make sure they're not missing something, assuming that they're bringing a good one in. But there's also some of the judges out there that it may work to a disadvantage from the standpoint they want to prove that they're doing their own thing and basically show people, hey, we, we can beat the higher profile kids deservingly or not. So it can go a lot of different directions, but that one leads us into a, another avenue. And, and I'm going to throw this right back to Ryan and then then let Dan comment on it. Ryan, in, in a lot of... The parents, a lot of the the people ringside. How important is it? How that person's dressed, their body language, their the personality they they give off when they enter that ring. Where does that hit you? How does that impact you as far as a judge? Well, I guess in terms of the showman, correct the showman itself, their their presence. Uh,
2: Yeah, in terms of showman, obviously, I think that it takes quite a bit of money to do this, no matter on what level you're participating in, and I hear people all the time say, "'Oh, well, my kid's not clean because he was there working his animal, and we don't have time to do all this and still go get pretty for the judge and all that. I don't buy that. Um, no matter who you are or where you're showing, you've got five minutes to go put on a clean pair of jeans and a clean shirt and look professional in the ring. And I think what I notice more than anything on a kid when they hit the ring, whether it's in the class showing, or in showmanship is their presence and their confidence more than what they have on. Yes, I am a guy that's huge into fashion. So if somebody's got on a cool shirt or a unique blouse on a young lady, I'm gonna notice that absolutely, but I notice their confidence and their presence way more than other people. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of times, you know, you get different opinions on certain stock and people that have done it a lot of times people will say you know if it's close use your friends I've never quite said that I say if it's close use the better showman and because I believe that is something that when it is that close and it really is just minute differences in them I think that changes at least my opinion or my persona of what's actually happening in that ring right there. Dan what are
0: your thoughts on that? Well first
1: of all I I could not agree more with Ryan and what he said, and one word that he alluded to maybe didn't say uh, with regard to that first impression, and we've all heard the the long time statement you never get a second chance to make a first impression and once again, I think it emulates pride uh, not only in your livestock you're exhibiting but also in who you are as an individual and I am one that loves to notice quality clothing in the show ring, for lack of a better phrase. And I know often I've said to the young men and even young women in long sleeve shirts, you know, if they've got a Ralph Lauren on, I'll just say in passing. And, you know, and by the way, I like your shirt or that's cool. Um, I, that's part of the interaction that we develop in the ring with the junior exhibitors and to let them know that, you know, that we are more than just some stoic individual out there. Uh, evaluating their livestock on on that given day. I would like to add to both of you that, uh, yes, uh, everyone's younger than I am anymore, it seems like. And what I think is so important anymore in terms of show ring attire is the fact that we have gone through trends of clothing. I I know from my many years of judging across the country, the appropriateness of show attire, particularly for young women, has really come to the forefront, and I compliment each and every family member in America that dresses a young woman, irrespective of their age, for the show ring today is at a level that is I've never seen before. Now, there's some that might say, "Well, we're overdoing it a little bit," because I mean there are some killer outfits, that, you know, in the out there in the ring, and we all realize that. I really believe we it is amazing. Uh, the level of expertise and the level of pride that we've developed as an indus- industry. Now it's okay to have some dirty jeans uh, occasionally in the ring. When you get to showmanship in the afternoon, that's interesting at some of the smaller shows or uh, county fairs or county for eight shows. I think it's pretty good when uh, maybe the best showman also maybe has been in the wa- wash rack, uh, maybe been on their knees, grooming cattle. They- they're they coming to showmanship because that is who they are. And that's what they did that day. So Ryan, Dale, I'd love to hear your opinion. Uh, I thought Ryan was dead on.
0: It's wonderful. Absolutely, Dan. And, and this is exciting. How, how often do we do we get to sit down and discuss some of these topics and allow listeners to to kind of get inside the mind of, of a judge and, and what's going on? And both of you put it so well, it can be related to to a situation. We talk about the the history of the stock show. It went from exhibiting our animals and, and getting them out in front of people so they can make decisions on breedings and commercial exhibitors can buy and sell from the purebred exhibitors and how the whole show rings evolved to where here in the United States, it's really evolved into a junior activity. And I'm not saying it's not about the animal, but in my mind, it truly is about about raising these kids and teaching these kids or young exhibitors direction in life and, and life lessons and if, if we take that little extra effort to think about what we're going to wear, to put on that confident look when we walk into that ring, to give a presence that's going to be positive, that's real world. That's part of life. That's that's just as important to me as, as getting that animal ready and letting that animal look and represent itself as best we can, because it's, look at it as a job interview. We're going in there trying to impress a judge, whether it be me, my animal, all the above. I'm going to encompass the whole thing when they come in and and I'm not saying that we need to have the most expensive shirt or, or outfit or anything like that, but the effort you put into presenting yourself in the best manner you can, it's part of it. And it, and it does play a role. I'm not saying we're going to sort these individuals on how they're dressed or any of those things, but it's just all part of it. I think it's a good life lesson. It's good preparation. It's like getting ready for a job interview. Exciting to, to just see what this junior ring has done. And, and I think that's part of it. Well, to touch on that, Dale.
2: I can't tell you the number. I mean, obviously, everybody that's listening to this and you two gentlemen know that I wear some uh, more unconventional looks when I judge or at a livestock show than most people. And I can't tell you the number of times kids or their parents will come up to me and say, do you know that we have spent two weeks trying to figure out what we're gonna wear to show to you? And I think that is so awesome that those kids care that much about how they present themselves to me when I sort their stock because not that they're trying to impress me, but they want to make sure that they have just like Mr. Hogue said, made that first impression in the best way that they can in almost every way possible. It's really something that's very humbling to me in a lot of ways. I'm sorting a show in Colorado this weekend and there was a comment on their Facebook post <laughs> that, their three little girls are more worried about which shirt they're going to wear than what their pig looks like right now. Now, I'm not sure that's the way we need to go either, but I do think that it is impressive that we have got to a level in this industry that we understand that every single moment in that ring counts. Depending not just on your animal, how you look, how you present it, it is so tough in this industry right now to win Everyone knows that they've got to use everything at their disposal to give them a slight edge. And that's impressive on the fact that we've come this far and there are so many families and exhibitors out there that want to compete at the highest level they can, that they're willing to make sure that every single detail is on point.
0: Excellent. I hope I hope everyone's listening here and, and some of those families that are maybe just getting started. There's, there's some good information.
1: Whether you're judging by yourself or whether you're judging with someone else, but even when I'm judging by myself and a young person enters the ring and I mean, they are decked out and you make that first impression and look and I smile to myself in the ring and I just say, ouch, uh, too bad the pig or the head of cattle isn't quite as good as the showman is dressed. And uh, that's all part of it. Uh, the other that many people don't realize is, at least, and I'm only speaking for myself today, we use the color of a shirt to help us find someone, particularly in a, in a larger hog show in a group setting where you have more pigs in the ring and you're not pinning right away. And I will say to Mark or say whomever I'm, I'm with there's a boy out here with a red shirt on, got a good one. Don't think that we don't use color designation many times, at least I do to to find them again.
0: Oh, I think, I think everybody does, Dan. And those, those are are great points and it's, it's, it's part of it. It's, it's making it easier for for that judge to recognize you or to find you, or it's kind of like bringing a calico pig into the ring or a painted up goat or a, off-colored steer or some of those things yep. that stand out and maybe you, you don't have the animal it does but let's put you in, in something that that maybe is just a little bit different that makes it easier for for them to come back and find you now that can work to the positive or negative if you've got a good one that's going to work to your advantage to find you again but if, if you're not not walking in with the best one maybe maybe it doesn't work as well great discussion on on that topic the next one is is one i wish we didn't even have to bring up but it's reality and I'm going to approach this in, in as politically corrective a as manner as, as I can. And then we'll, we'll have Ryan and, and Dan jump in on this. If you're out there in the ring and the animal enters that show arena, there's zero doubt in your mind that this animal has been physically altered in a manner that is not acceptable, nor allows for any resemblance of an even playing field. How do we handle it? What do we do? I'm not talking about those that are just, Wow. But the ones that are blatantly obvious that there, there is an issue, and there's no question in your mind that there, there's there's an issue here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna toss this one to Dan first. We'll we'll put him on the spot.
1: It is one of those issues that as a show judge, you hope you never have to one be confronted with and two have to address on the mic in a public setting. I think it is really important on our part as as an industry and as a livestock show judge. And you don't know exactly, you don't know who's sitting in those seats or who's observing. And how we address that on the microphone, I believe, is one thing very, very important. And how we, the terminology that we use, whether we say, I'd like to see that individual head of livestock more natural in their presentation. Sometimes I've simply said, maybe just a little too much. And you don't have to say muscle. You don't have to say thickness, just a little too much. And continue on with my comments. It is a very delicate issue. It's been years ago, but uh, I would say for the past 20 to 30 years, I have never slapped the steer or seldom slapped the steer at, at a major steer show. I've always shaken the hand of the exhibitor first. And then there may be a a light slap to to the rump. I can remember those days so vividly, even today, the sound of hitting those steers on the hip was one of the most gut-wrenching experiences I have ever been involved with as a show judge. And so you don't like to talk about it. Yes, it does occur. And we just hope that the playing field continues to be leveler.
2: This is a subject that nobody likes to discuss, but the fact that it is reality, it's something that needs to be discussed. And I find it really hard when those situations arise. I'm a firm believer that when those situations happen, 95% or more of the time, it's not the kid that got that animal in that situation or put that exhibitor in that situation. And so I think that this industry is more about building kids up into what they can become later in life than anything else. And so you never want to embarrass an exhibitor, no matter what the situation is. And so I think being delicate on the mic is absolutely the correct way that you handle that. I think that more times than not in those situations, because that animal is not going to do as well as what that group that was behind that animal thinks it should've, because obviously they have gone to great lengths to do everything they can to get that animal a win. They're gonna be the ones that approach you in some way after, and you just gotta be real blunt about it and say, look, this is what it was. Your top was crunchy, your hip was aired, whatever the situation is, and that's why that happened out there today. And I promise you, or at least in all my dealings, they're going to be real meek in terms of their response because they're going to, if, if a judge can know without a doubt that animal has been altered in the arena, then the person that's confronting you is going to know it too. Again, it's a real unfortunate situation, but I think that it has to be addressed leveling the playing field is the goal and the I- ideal. And that's why we're bringing topics like this up. But I also think that we have to understand that more times than not, it is not the exhibitor that got themselves in that situation. And so that's just something that we need to take in to consideration a lot. I appreciate what Mr. Hogue said about slapping steers and instead of shaking hands, because in terms of his experiences in that area and stuff like that, I guess I'm known for the opposite because I'm the one that uh, likes to slap them so hard they jump and run, and that's just part of me. But uh, it's all about, you know, what personal experiences you have come into and how you feel about things. But I just think the most important thing in this area is we need to try to level the playing field as much as possible. But if you are a judge and you are in that situation, Always remember there is a kid on the other side of that animal.
0: I can even take it a step further. And, and those are, are great points that Dan and Ryan have brought out here. And as a judge, I've been put in the situation. Initially, I'm, I'm insulted that somebody would, would try to, to go that far. And as Ryan alluded to, it's very unlikely that the person showing it maybe has any knowledge of it. So we do have to be delicate. And secondly, we're we're talking about when there's no question, when it's an absolute. And I can assure you those few times that it's absolute, there's many more that maybe have had issues or or have been helped in in manners that maybe shouldn't have that that we can't just say, hey, this one's been altered and and I need to do something about it. So more times than not, we're going to, those ones that there's no question, we stick them into third, fourth, wherever, wherever they go, make a comment as Dan alluded to, maybe just a little too much or or maybe just not quite as natural in the handle, those type of things. And those behind the scenes know exactly what you're talking about. And and let's hope as we're moving forward. And I'm I'm very optimistic that we can continue to have less and less and we do more work with the feed bucket and and exercise and and those type of things to 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 make that animal better rather than maybe taking some of the shortcuts that that are out there. The next topic. Sideline coaching. I'm going to start this one. I've had it too easy here, throwing to Dan and, and Ryan. And then I can kind of kind of slide in there at the end. I'm guilty of it, whether it's my children or clients that I'm working with. But at the same time, I I, I hope because of, of my competitive nature, it's it's hard. It's hard not to want everything perfect in there. But it is, as a judge, an absolute pet peeve of mine when i'm out there sorting whatever that species may be and the individual that is out in the ring is paying far more attention to somebody on the sideline than what the, how that animal's being presented or where i'm at within the ring and it's very distracting and i think it actually takes away from there if we can be subtle about it and you have a young person that that coach on the outside has worked with and it's very subtle it's in a in a manner that that nobody would even pick up on it and it's not distracting from that that exhibitor's attention to the animal or attention to the judge, I'm okay with it. But we see extremes, whether it's a county fair or a national show, and it, and it's hard. And I and I get it. And sometimes I want to want to jump over the fence and and explain, hey, we we we've got to get this leg in place, or we have to do something differently. But Dan and Ryan have, I'm sure, seen this more times than not. And Dan, share some of your experiences or your opinion on this one.
1: Well, I think it's been going on for ages or ad infinitum, as we might say in Latin, forever and ever. And it is a very, very gray area because as a family, you want the best of experience for your, your children out there in the ring. I would say this, and with tongue in cheek, uh, in the Mark and Kitty Hoag family right now, we're, I'm going to call it just a work in progress that maybe we shouldn't do quite as much as we are. And uh, it's a very delicate issue in the family. They know that I would like them possibly just leave the boys alone out of the ring, and we're about to have a five year old granddaughter start exhibiting, and that will be an entity in itself. And so uh, sideline coaching. I have said this on many occasions in the show ring and and I hope I don't offend anyone out there uh, because as you alluded to, Dale, uh, it is very distractive uh, when you are, Focusing as a show judge, and you're looking, and you may want to make a ring assignment or or a relocation assignment by signal, or ra- rather than your voice. They're not li- they're looking to outside the ring. And I have on occasion said on the microphone, particularly at county fairs or smaller shows, to the exhibitor, and by the way, let your family know that you and I are just fine out here in the ring. You, you didn't need any help at all today, and the crowd will chuckle. I have no idea what the family members really thought, uh, but they've never said anything over the years. But uh, it's okay to let people know that we know you're all involved and we know you're all interested and you want nothing but the best. But listen, we're good out here in the ring. And once the exhibitors know that, that this judge is very human, very much like us, we want the best. And so just leave the youth alone and we'll get along just fine.
2: Uh. uh Amen. <laughs> I guess it's the best way to sum that up. Uh, I'll be completely real and honest with y'all on this topic right here. I still show at open shows across the country. And as many national showmanships I've won, as many thousands of times as I've shown an animal, when I get that one set and I get that one ready, I still look to the holding pen for whoever I trust out there And all they have gotta do is give me a head nod, yes, or shake me off and I'll figure it out. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I've had as many kids and families that I've helped go out there and show, and I have helped on the sidelines. It has been just that. They look at you, you give them the nod that, yeah, you're all right, or you shake them off, or you you put up a, a finger, one, two, three, or four, and they know what to do. I think it can be real distracting. Uh, Just as both of you gentlemen have said, I think it can be comical and entertaining at some times, actually. And as Mr. Hogue alluded, I've sat on the microphone a time or two before, talked about that animal and said, you know what? When you get out of this ring, before you come back for the breed champion drive, you tell your family or whoever it is at the time, I'll probably just whoever it is say, you tell that big guy over there on the rail that we got this. You don't need his help when it gets to that distracting point. And I promise you they will back off because you have now called them out on it and they've probably been called out on it before. I think it is fine if it is done tastefully is the best way to sum that up in my opinion. I know how competitive I am. I know how competitive the masses in this industry are. We all want the best for those kids when they're out there in that ring. When I still show to this day, I want the reassurance from somebody outside that ring that that one looks
0: the best that they can be. Excellent opinions, and and I think we're we're all going the same direction with that. And it, and it is that young exhibitor's time in that ring, and wow, let's let's let them enjoy that, and let's let them pay attention to what's going on, and and all of the above. We will find it shows, whether it's traders or breeders following an animal into the ring. It may be standing behind a pig with a water bottle and the holding pen. These things obviously happen depending on how the show is set up and, and organized. Ryan, we'll, we'll go to you first with that. How does this play in your mind? How do you approach it? What do you? What is your, your mental process there?
2: I think the best term is nonsensical because now with social media and, and all these other things, it goes way further than just, someone tapping a steering or someone standing behind a pig pen with a water bottle, you get messages and texts and snapchats and all this other stuff to alert you that that one's theirs, etc. And I've said this before, and I've said this again, and I'll keep saying it. If you have to go down that route to try to win a show, there's two, two things here. Either one, you don't have faith in your animal. Or number two, you don't have faith in that sorter. And doing all that is not going to fix either one of those problems. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't anger me. I find it more comical than not most times. I have a real different approach on this than a lot of people. Just like when we were talking about the kid being on the other end of the altered animal, you can't, those kids can't control what the people on the outside do before, during, or after that show. And for me, sorting stock shows is about those kids more than anything else. And so I always think when they see that happening, they may be just as cringeworthy about it as what you are when it happens. One of y'all said earlier that it's a little bit insulting, and it is. Because if you're going to pay the money and put the effort into it to go show to this judge, whether it's us or XYZ, then you should have faith in your animal and that person out there that if it's that great, they can find it and they don't need any help with you standing behind them or tapping them, following them halfway in the rain to signal, this is mine. This is the one. And so that's kind of my viewpoint on it. I'm never going to let anything hurt a kid that they didn't do directly because I just don't think it's fair
1: as a cattle show judge, when you know where should a cattle show judge stand when you get off the microphone, depending on the physical layout of a show and you check in with your ring helper, whomever is telling you what the age is or what's the weight spread, or we're going to have a division champion after, you know, after this class. Um, I am one that does go to the entrance area of the ring. And that gives me, in my opinion, the opportunity to see those cattle come in the ring initially. In my opinion, when you stand at the other end of the the ring where the microphone is many times, or maybe you have a a portable mic, and those cattle come in and they're lined up side by side, uh, I think it's really difficult. Now, this is just my opinion. Difficult for me to really get a feel of what's in the class. And- Whether you notice someone tailing a cattle or not, as a show judge, you say several things to yourself, you know, that was a really good attempt in your own mind to saying to someone without saying it to them, but the cattle aren't good enough today. You know, and I've said that to myself in a nice try, got this, I understand what we are trying to say. We got this put together. We're going to put this class together or this division together. Uh, that that I think is important in the swine show ring. I have often marvelled at the ability of many people to develop the arc on the stream of water out of a spray bottle to hit the exact spot they they want to hit. And I say that tongue in cheek and jokingly here this afternoon uh, because we've all witnessed it. It I'm like Ryan. It does distract and it is frustrating as, as a show judge. And to be very honest with you, I think it many times does more harm than good in the swine show ring. And then I'm going to come to the great state of Texas, which, as uh, you folks know from Texas and and Ryan and his family also, is my second home and my second great love. And I really compliment the physical layout of the Texas majors in terms of how they separate those coming into the ring from any outside ring contact. Uh, and it has to do with the physical layout of the ring. I have said to a number of people, Iowa State Fair Swine Facility, very good in terms of that. At least entering into the ring, the setup for the NGSA Summer Spectacular in Louisville is wonderful uh, in terms of loading those pins. Indiana State Fairgrounds would say the same. and uh, at the Illinois State for the last several years now, they are loading the, the pens and the swine show on one side, and, and that gives that break in many cases. But then again, you can go to the other side as a member of a family or a show group that you're working with. It, it is there. It will never go away. The physical setup of a show facility does dictate that. I've judged enough years. I don't know. It's just part of it. I would be interested in your opinion, Dale.
0: I don't see it any any different than where, where you guys are at. And what is unique is I feel like many of those that are out there showing and, and many families that are involved in this that are maybe on the sidelines watching, will will see such and such tail and a calf into the ring or behind the holding pin. And we may end up using that specific animal. And, and it wasn't because the animal was good, but it was rather because of that. And all reality, as you listen to Dan and Ryan talk, it just doesn't come into play. I'm not saying there's no politics out in the show ring. I, I would never, never go that far. And, and that would be misleading everyone. But for the most part, when when things like that are occurring, if we have a, a judge that is is worthy of, of standing out there and, and sorting those stock, it, it is not going to have an impact. And I believe maybe Dan or, or Ryan alluded to it, it's maybe even a, a touch negative, but we often just absorb it. We look through it and, and we, we continue to move on. Let's talk about a situation we, we've all been in, again, when sorting shows. You have a really good one hit the ring that may not be cooperating and or in a younger, less experienced showman's hands. That showman just cannot get this one stuck or driven as well as what you would like compared to possibly that older, experienced showman that's just getting it nailed. But more so, let's let's go to the topic, and I want to run to Dan first. We we have this really good pig, and that darn thing wants to, to head to the corner, and that that younger showman just doesn't quite understand we need to get him out of the corner, or we've got a lamb or a goat that's awfully good on the move, but we just can't get it set up for, for anything. How does this play in? What do, what do we do? Do we try to read through that showman? Do we just look at the quality of the animal? Where are we at with this?
1: This is an awesome question. A great area to discuss. So once again, I don't have the experience in the lamb and the goat ring, as I do in the cattle and the and the swine show ring. And you have to be patient. You have to understand and look at the situation and what's happening. You ask yourself as a show judge, and it's subconscious: Is this young younger person struggling because the cattle? And these are lang- This is language we use. You know, are they acting like a knothead? Or uh, has the young exhibitor really not had much contact with them? And this all plays in your mind as a show judge, you know, how should I handle this? And each, each situation I've noticed over the years is, is different. With that stated, you, you have to be so careful and so respectful. You want no one to be injured in the ring, particularly that exhibitor or other exhibitors. And many times in cattle shows, the cattle are just out there in the ring and they get loose either sometimes because of habit or sometimes because they're just feeling good on that that particular cool summer's morning. Every situation is unique. My rule of thumb is if they get away once, we'll take our time, we'll catch it. Gets away a second time, we have to remind ourselves and on the microphone, this cattle was a little difficult to really evaluate. Um, might use them in, in first or in first but most likely in second if they get away a third time then uh we would say something to the ring people and, and say i i don't believe we need to keep that calf in the ring that is my rule of thumb there i have reminded many exhibitors over the years in the end ladies and gentlemen i sound like i'm on the mic right now this is a this is a livestock show and with that stated we have the responsibility to exhibit our livestock in the most professional manner. And if it's close, those that are gonna be used to, to today are those that are handled correctly and we can see them. Uh, when it comes down to, to that, those who have shown correctly will tend to win. I can say uh, as a grandpa, uh, as well as a parent over the, the years, uh, in a hog show, uh, it doesn't go very well with me as a as a grandparent or a parent, when the swine show judge said that that the champion in this division isn't driving very, very well today and is down in the corner, uh, but that's going to be our champion. If if that wasn't your your head of livestock, that doesn't go very well sometimes. And I'm smiling to myself as we're talking to microphone here. I think that's a human interest part in all of us. Uh, you know, we're all guilty of playing the roles from one side to the other. As a show judge, as a family member, it's difficult. Boy, those are some close calls. I'm interested in what you folks say.
0: It is, it is interesting, and, and we're presented with it. And every situation is going to be a little bit different. And and I can assure you, I I'll try to look through that, especially if it's a younger exhibitor that that you know maybe just hasn't had that much experience. But when it comes down to it, it is a show, and and that's part of it. Let's go to the other other side of this how big of advantage is that experienced showman or that showman that just nails it, irregardless of the species relative to the rest of them in there in the ring? Oh, I think if you've got a great showman on the end of your
2: animal, no matter what it is, I don't care if we're showing bunny rabbits, then you've got an advantage. Uh, that's just part of it. I tell people all the time in showmanship when I judge it, because I love to sort showmanship, I'm one of the few that really, really likes to do it. Great showmen are born. And what I mean by that. They can show a rattlesnake if that's what they decide to do. Good showmen happen because they're taught, they train themselves, and they have drive and dedication to do that. And Maybe they can't show all species, but they can be exceptionally good at the one they focus on, and that is part of it. There are times when animals are crazy or a knucklehead or whatever you want to say, and in those situations, it is unfortunate every situation is different and unique like both of you gentlemen alluded to for me as a judge i take in that situation and you have to know almost every time that if that animal is unruly whether it's because that one is just not decided they want to be a show animal or it is that the exhibitor hasn't got to spend enough quality time with that animal they're probably not gonna go the distance in terms of being the grand overall champion or way, way up there. There are times when I have sorted all species of shows that there has been one that you know is the best animal in that particular class or maybe even in their breed, it's not getting shown the way that you would want it to. And it's probably not getting shown the way that kid or anybody in that group wants it to. But if it is that obvious, And there is not another animal out there that can compete with that one. Even in that given situation, I find it hard not to go on and use that animal to win in that class because you are there to sort stock. And there is lots of different things that come into play in that situation. And I get it. I have been on the end and helped families and kids on the end that just as uh Mr. Hogue said, you know, got beat by one that wasn't getting shown well and it doesn't sit well. And that's part of it too. I think, again, if you're in a situation and one of them is acting up and there's another one that is just as good or very, very close in that situation. Go back to what I say over here, I'm going to use the better showman if it's close. If it's obvious that animal, even because of its temperament and situation is still the best one. I find it difficult not to use that one because I don't know how to talk it on the mic and explain the physical aspects of that one getting bait.
0: Excellent. Those, those are, are, are just, I, I hope the listeners are as excited as I am about this and The next couple topics, we're going to take just a little bit different direction, and and Dan's been coaching livestock teams forever, and and Ryan and I hosted an episode here just last week about the competitive livestock judging. There's a lot of young people out there, a lot of young people that are well-trained that want to break into those shows and and are looking for some guidance and and so forth. One of the things that's interesting to me, and I don't know of two people more so than Dan and Ryan... That there's more anticipation when you're at a show, families, spectators, livestock enthusiasts to listen to their speech at the end of the show. Just some guidance for for those that are just getting started. How what can you do to to give them that that push and and guide them to those those end of the show speeches that that might work the best for them? And and Dan, I'd like to to have you address it first, if you would. Oh my.
1: That's all I'm going to say is, oh, my. Um, You never know when you begin a show. What the end of that show, be it so small and local or be it so large. That you just don't know it has it has to involve the show and something that may have happened in the show or what is going on in the industry. And the greatest disadvantage our young judges of today have uh, is in many, many cases, they haven't had the life experiences that you can relate to, whether it be within a nation, whether it be within in a worldwide situation, or whether it be uh, just w- within a show. Every show judge is uniquely different. And I have just listened to so many over the years, and I love to listen to all judges uh, conclude their shows and ryan uh you know you are one of those judges that i i love to listen to uh i listen to you uh you don't even realize i was there and in, in uh, madison wisconsin uh this past winter at the badger kickoff classic and i have had enough life experiences that whether it it be correct or not i have on multiple occasions and, uh, you know, said something about an acquaintance, someone in the industry, a family member. And I have said, this show is for you. And I have trouble even sitting here this afternoon. Uh, the chills go down my spine uh, when I say that because it has to be appropriate for the event. And that is the key. I've been part of listening audiences when. Personally, I felt that maybe that uh, discussion a judge may have had at the end of the show wasn't more as appropriate as maybe it could have been for the show. And maybe some have said that about me. The most important thing is it has to be for the event and knowing that a small show, county fair, uh, 4-H show, uh, your finishing comments are going to be about your county, your youth and uh, I know Ryan is tremendous at this, too, and you are too, Dale, uh, to thank everyone in the ring. And I tell our young student judges if want to get get out there and and uh, you know they ask me, well, what do you do? And well, the most important thing to do is you learn the names of everyone that you're working with that day and first names, and you can even practice them throughout the, the day making sure that when you finish that show, You have recognized the people checking in, the people that are behind that table. You folks realize now I'm lecturing in a classroom. I hope you don't mind this. Those people behind that table or on that podium, they are the most important people in that show uh, in terms of just behind the scenes. Now, we know the most important people are the youth that are showing, but in terms of the staff that put on a show and how you finish that show, and maybe something has been said during the day uh, that you've gotten to, to know some of them. Uh, it can be light in nature. Um, anything to let the audience and the exhibitors know that you too are human and you too are so excited and thankful for being there that day. I know I sound like I'm sermonizing, and Dale knows me pretty well, Ryan, so we'll just leave it at that.
2: First off, Mr. Hogue, I did know you were at Madison. Mark and I had talked about that you and your lovely wife were going to be there, and I saw you standing there ringside, so uh, I did know you were there. Didn't get a chance to see you, evidently, or you you didn't get to see me, but I did know you were there. I think uh, the thing is, you know, people, so many young judges come to me and they say, how do you do what you just did? And whether they're talking a lot of times about a grand drive speech, I had lots of people that I respect their opinion so much come to me and say, you've got to write me a grand drive speech like that so I can just have one. That's not how it works. It is something very personal. Each of us is different. Our stories are different. The things that happen at that given show are different. And if it doesn't touch that audience, then it's never going to work. And that audience was there at that show at that moment on that day. And that's what they want to hear about. And that's what they want to be reminded of. And so again, I don't think there's a, just like there's not a canned set of reasons that works in a livestock judging contest. There's not a can you know, grand drive speech. And I feel very humbled that so many people do like to listen to mine and people have come up and said, I wish I could do that, et cetera. It's not something that I practice. It's just like, you know, Mr. Hope said, I am eternally grateful, no matter whether it's a 50 head jackpot show or, you know, a 500 head state fair that they asked me to be there and asked me to be involved with those kids. And since I've been on all sides of it, I've shown, I've helped families on the outside of the ring. I've run shows. I agree that having all those different life perspectives and viewpoints of it, you probably are more grateful and you understand exactly what it took for that event to happen, no matter the size. Thinking those people that got them there in terms of the kids and the stock, thinking the people that were behind the scenes, putting that show together to allowing it to happen, Those are all very, very crucial points in it. The best thing that I tell anybody that ever asked me, it's not just about a grand drive speech, it's about judging in general. You just got to be honest and speak from your heart because that's what's going to come through. And that's in everything. That's not just stock shows. If you're just honest and true to yourself and speak from your heart, then what you want to portray will come through
0: in your individual and unique way excellent perspective this this is exciting i'm gearing this a little bit towards those that are just getting started judging or wanting to make that transition from the the livestock competitive judging world into judging stock shows when you guys walk into the into the the ring or wa- or arrive at that show and you walk up and introduce yourself to the superintendent, you, you kind of survey what's what's going on around or what the size of the show is going to be, all of the above, what's going through your mind on on just how you're going to conduct yourself and and how maybe we should approach it differently at a at a very small local show versus a, a Texas major or a national show? The thoughts
1: race through my mind of of the many, many years. And I would say that any of us that judge livestock shows and do so many of the things that you two do, um, obviously um, saying saying yes to judge a livestock show and then making the detail arrangements with a family, with work, with whatever, uh, everyone says, well, it must be easy. Well, it yes, it's easy if you love it and what you go through to get there. And I'm saying this because I can still remember going to those county fairs in multiple states where you have driven, in the Midwest primarily, and there's something about driving on to a county fairgrounds at 7.30, 7.45, try never to be late, drive five minutes to eight in the morning, and you park your car and you walk either through a barn or around the barn. And at that county fair, at that moment, there is something about American animal agriculture and county fairs that you can't describe. You can't put a price on. And you walk into that event and you know you made the right decision when you said yes. Now, I don't know if this is the time or place to then say, uh, I could write a small novel on meeting the county fair superintendents over the the years, and those 99.9% of them are all so positive. But it doesn't take you long to figure out either as a show judge, and I know we have a very large audience today. Now, maybe there's a little self-serving concerns on the part of the staff that are going on today And that has happened. And I've even told county fair superintendents, this conversation doesn't need to go any farther. And you have the wrong person today. I can comment from both sides of the equation. At the national level, Texas majors, I'm telling you, everyone in America, and I really believe this, and it's not just Texas majors, but the major livestock shows. And I know I'm going to leave one out, but I'm most familiar with the Texas majors. Those staffs are so professional, and it's an entirely different element that you're walking into. And so I tell our young judges, as a young judge, you have to be prepared for every occasion that you're going to walk into a show ring, not knowing how you're going to be addressed and and what. I, I often laugh and tell our young students in the classroom. What's interesting at some smaller shows, uh, you can feel pretty alone at the end of end of some county fairs if it didn't go quite the way the 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 show staff thought it wanted it to go that day. And so we kind of smile and laugh at those occasions. And I tell our young people that you never know who's watching. I don't care how small that show is, and you may think it's significantly insignificant in the major scheme of things, but you never know who's watching, whether it be just officiating a judging contest, putting a small street show, judging a small street show, uh, as we call some of them here in Illinois uh, over the the years and uh, that may take that next step and the next step. And I remind our students in the classroom, it doesn't make a difference where you start, it's where you finish that will tell the story. Every
2: single opportunity that you get, you should take. As Mr. Hogue just said, you never know who's going to watch. I've got a real different perspective and viewpoint on this because obviously I'm a unique character in the livestock world. So I've had all kinds of experiences when I pulled up to sort of show and met the people that were running it. I find it interesting or ironic a lot of times you would think that those events pretty much know who they hire to sort these things. And then you get there and sometimes you don't even know County fair, just this uh, winter. In fact, I walk- in my home state of Texas. I walked into the office. They're all sitting in there and I said, well, hello, how are y'all doing? And they asked me what I needed. They didn't even know I was there to sort the show. And so uh, I do find it really interesting. The, different reactions that I get only got to judge one major show so far and that's Phoenix and those people are the epitome of professional and so that was a great experience and that thing county fair levels and jackpot shows as mr hoke said a lot of times people try to chime in and make you aware of who they are who their kid is stuff like that i mean that happens a lot of times i get i get a lot of people that I don't want to say they're rude, but they're abrasive. That still happens to this day. For whatever reason, they're just not super excited that I'm there and they're helping with that particular event. More times than not, by the end of it, their attitudes have changed. And so that is something that I am always grateful for. Like he said, no matter where you are or who you think is there watching, you need to be the same. There are no small shows. There are small-minded sorters. If there's 15 head or 1,500 head, all those kids and all those animals deserve every bit of your attention, your knowledge, your skill, and your talent when you get asked to sort that. One of the best stories that I have, and I'm not going to call out this individual state fair, but uh, because I don't, I'm just not going to do that, but show up to sort of state fair, walk in, bunch of them recognize me, et cetera. Very nice. Go in this little holding room. Cause I, as Mr. Hope said, you need to be early. I've been late one time cause I got pulled over by a cop in downtown Indianapolis and uh, basically got strip searched. So I was late for one show, but they take you to this holding room and uh, the head superintendent came in and he made it Real plain to me, real fast, in no uncertain terms, that he wasn't excited about me being there. And uh, it didn't rattle me. It didn't phase me. Actually, it made me want to prove myself even more to that individual. But I think no matter where you are, what you're sorting, it should be an humbling experience for that person who's the sorter to be there. And you've got to treat every single show the same.
1: I've been involved in youth livestock showing uh, as a youth growing up and and uh, I've had the pleasure and the opportunity to almost be in every facet and situation from a family member from a college instructor to a livestock judging team coach to a livestock show judge and I can remember many many years ago the naysayers of youth livestock showing or livestock showing in general and you have to understand, uh, ni- I started in 1970 at Blackhawk, and you have to consider, you know, they said, well, these are a thing of the past, and these will never last, and I, would, I was always a good listener, and I would, you know, they'd say, you know, that they're artificial, they don't have anything to pertain to the, the real world of livestock showing, and it goes on and on, uh, you know, you're all just show jocks, and And I've listened to it all over the years, and I want to say to some of those same people as I now am viewing more from a grandparental standpoint and, you know, finishing my career as a full-time instructor and judging team coach, that I'd like to say to those same people that the enrollment and the entries in youth livestock shows across this nation are at all-time highs. and. It makes me feel so good and so humble that I've never lost faith in what we're doing. I've never lost sight in the future of young people. They say are the students of today different? No, young people that are showing livestock to, today and doing it right, they're no different than they, than they were. You know, fifty, sixty years ago, they may have a few different priorities, but at the same time, they all want to be successful. They all enjoy what they're doing. And I would only close our our wonderful discussion today. As, as I said, when Mark and I judged Houston for the last time together a few years ago here, it's important that all of you, and I'm speaking to Dale and you, Dale, and, and Ryan, yourself, and everyone else that's listening out there, that we have to do it right. And if, we're, if we don't do it right, we will not have a future. And if we do it right, it, it will be ever perpetual in what we're doing because what's that phrase everyone is saying right now i want to raise my kids in a barn and to raise your children in a barn is really uh what it's all about uh, i look out the the back door of our uh, country home here uh, deanna's family farm and i see that barn and just look at all the time at, at what happened in that barn and uh, what it did for our family members, our special daughter, Kathy, and maybe Don Jopes, who was the head of the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, maybe said it best. If I could say anything today to those of you that may be listening or were listening in the future, make certain that we're using our livestock shows to develop our youth and not using our youth to develop our livestock programs. And uh, with that stated, it's been an absolute honor to be on the same program with you, Dale. And you know the respect I have for you and your family. And dear Ryan Rash, we go back so many years uh, and uh, what you have done personally and professionally, and your family and your mom uh, has been one of my great friends over the years. And so, to all of you that have been such a part of our life for Deanna and I, uh, we just say thank you so much. And been wonderful.
0: Thank you, Dan. And, and I hope those of you listening can appreciate the transparency and honesty that Dan and Ryan have, have shared with you today. The experiences that that Dan brings to the table are, are unmatched, along with the unique perspective that, that Ryan is so able to eloquently communicate to everyone. It's a situation I could visit with Dan and Ryan all day about, about the stock show industry. Speaking of that, there's a couple episodes that, that I've discussed briefly with Ryan and I'd love to do an episode on the history of the stock show world um, or stock shows in general. Another episode on how and why show judges are hired. But those are all all some that we would love to, to have Dan involved in. And, and I look forward to, to bringing Dan back at, at some point. Until next week, thank you for taking the time to listen. Ryan, Dan, thank you both. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.